I, I love my home church. It is great to be here. I can't be here all every week because I'm traveling around the country so much working with churches, but uh, I have just grown uh, to love my wife and I uh, just to call Canoe Creek our home. So about uh, three, four weeks ago, Pastor Ross started a new series. It's called Five Years From Now. And during his intro, he asked the question, what do you want to be true about you in five years from now? So I began thinking in the back of my brain what, what these types of things might be that I, that I would like to be, have true. And I came up with a handful. And one of those was, I want in five years from now that I am doing even better of a job of living above the snake line. How many of you thought the same thing? How many of you even know what a snake line is? Okay, let me give you a little context. So rock climbers use this term a lot. Uh, what this means is, is that, uh, uh, first of all, rock climbing, is, it's a dangerous sport. It's a dangerous hobby. They know it uh, as part of the appeal. And, uh, but they build in safety measures all the way so, so that they have a safety line and different things. And every time they go up a little further, uh, they, they build in safety. They build in safety by constantly uh, training, training, training. So they don't just go up high uh, at an early stage. So there's a lot of things that they can do to prepare and to make it more safe. Is it safe? No. Uh, is it guaranteed? No. Uh, uh, is it still a challenge? And, uh, uh, you know, absolutely. But they do the best they can. But there's one area that they can do very little about protecting themselves when it comes to safety. And that is in the cliffs of the side of a mountain live a lot of poisonous snakes that camouflage themselves. They may come down once a week for a tasty treat, like a tasty rat or something like that, and then they go right back up, and then they don't want to be bothered. They don't want anything to, uh, they just want to be camouflaged and be left alone, and they certainly don't want anything poking at them. And so rock climbers are climbing up, and they're, they're, they're really close to the wall, and they're looking up to see where the best ledge might be, which, by the way, is the same thing snakes are looking for when they're trying to get their way up. And so they're going up there, and they reach up, and they blindly put their fingers in a crevice, praying that they won't poke the poisonous snake that will result in a triggered reaction that would inflict poison into their lives. Now, there comes a point when they get to, uh, as they're climbing these rocks, where they take a sigh of relief because snakes will only go to a certain altitude. And they know that once they get beyond that altitude, they will not encounter any more poisonous snakes. Now, is it safe at this point? No, they have further to fall. There's still a lot of challenges ahead of them but at least they don't have to worry. There's a sense of restness and contentment that goes over them. I don't have to risk poking a poisonous snake and triggering a poisonous reaction that would uh, uh, be very harmful in my life. So what does it mean for us to live above the snake line? Well, living above the snake line is asking the question, are there things in my life that when external negative things happen, and they will happen, they do happen every day, 
that I don't trigger a poisonous response. For example, if you find yourself that gets get aggravated very easily, you're living below the snake line. If you find that you uh, uh, get jealous very easily, then you're living below the snake line. If you find the self that you give into lust easily, then you're living below the snake line. If you find that you can be very judgmental or given to gossip, or consumed about what other people are doing or thinking, and, and you just have this reaction. If you find that, that when you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off, you just have this reaction. If you find that you have these different areas in your life that uh, uh, you just have an immediate negative reaction, then you are living below the snake line. Living above the snake line doesn't just happen. You don't just pray and all of a sudden one day, boom, everything is, is perfectly fine. No, God is God. He can do what he wants. But typically that's not the case. God chooses to journey with us and to build our character in certain areas where we will begin to learn to live above the snake line. I have certain areas in my life through great intentionality uh, and great uh, discipline. I have five accountability partners. I've, I've talked about that uh, in one of my previous messages that I call every week. They know everything because I really want to live above the snake line. I still have areas in my life that, I, that negative reactions trigger and I got areas to grow in. So that's, that's one of my five-year goals. Now, one of the great models for living above the snake line is the Apostle Paul. You see, the Apostle Paul will talk about, we're going to be reading about this in the Scripture here in a second, but how the Apostle Paul disciplined his life and grew in his life where uh, in so many areas he was living above the snake line. It didn't happen naturally. He didn't all of a sudden wake up one day. He had a miraculous thing where there was a blinding light and, and, and Jesus himself from the heavens spoke to him. And so he had a miraculous salvation, but his growth journey happened by intentionally choosing to be in relationship with God every day. So I want to read from a passage. Uh, the, the title of this morning's message is The Secret of contentment because the Apostle Paul learned from about the secret of contentment and this is actually learning to be above the snake line. For some of you, this passage will be very familiar. We're looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses uh, 4 through 13. I am skipping verse 10 for, for brevity, uh, but I, I have not lost any of the points in it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, represent your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Skipping to verse 11. I am not saying this because I am need, uh, 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 that I am in need. For I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. You know, it's interesting. If you have built the discipline in your life of memorizing Scripture, there's probably about three passages in here that you might have memorized. First, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your uh, gentleness be evident to all. Or maybe you've memorized the passage where it said, you know, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely. Or maybe for uh, verse 13, it says, uh, I can do all things in Christ who strengtheneth me. And I think that they're the beautiful sections of the verses and, and they, have, they stand alone and have been transformative in my life. But I would also say that I realized when I began studying this passage at one point that uh, the Apostle Paul, you got to keep in context, he didn't write chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, verse 4, verse 5. He was just writing a letter. And I think that all of this is being built up to this very pointed person. I have learned the secret of being content. But before we talk about what contentment is, we've got to talk about what contentment is not. Discontentment is the false narrative that happiness can be found outside of you. Simply put, Believing who God created you to be or has given you is not enough. You see, with contentment, it's about looking at that inner narrative. It's that inner voice, that the belief that when you be discontentment, when you believe I'm not enough, what God has done in me is not enough. What, what I have in my life, it's just not enough. I am just not satisfied. See, way too often we, we find ourselves hoarding and, 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 and uh, trying to get and, and just saying it's not enough. If you ever studied history in modern history and particularly economics, certainly you've heard about the wealthy, famous, and powerful John D. Rockefeller. And John D. Rockefeller uh, was asked by a reporter, how much does it take? to satisfy a man in a rare form of wisdom, he said, a little bit more than what he has. That's discontentment. When you pursue, it never satisfies. I'm about to say a strong truth, and it's going to sting a little bit, 
but it needs to be said. Discontentment communicates more about what you believe about God than what you believe about your circumstances. When I am living in discontentment, I am saying, God, you are not enough. God, you're not doing good enough. God, I'm dissatisfied with what you've done in me and what you provided around me. So let's talk, let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul says about this, this concept, the secret of contentment he refers to it as. The first verses, remember that. I'm not going to reread it all, but uh, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your evidence be near. I believe that what he's communicating is that moving from having your identity wrapped up in the stuff of life towards focusing your identity in Christ, you will find contentment. You see, so much of the Apostle Paul's teaching, not only in this chapter, is talking about rejoice in the Lord, praise him, uh, uh, give all the glory to God himself. In fact, not only in, in the Apostle Paul's teaching, but all throughout the entire Bible, there's so much of a focus of, uh, of uh, rejoicing and praising God. In his Ten Commandments that he gave us, the very first one is to, to love God and to worship him. And, and when Jesus narrowed it down to two commandments, the very top one, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's a form of praise, of worshiping him. In fact, the biggest book in the Bible is center, smack in the center of it. If you open up in the Bible in the middle, the largest book is called the Book of Psalms, and it is totally dedicated towards praising God. I got a question for you. If we believe that God divinely inspired scriptures, which I do. Is God this large, massive, cosmic egomaniac? So much of it inspired to write is that, is that to worship him and praise him. Is God so insecure that he needs us to validate him and build him up? Because God knows that when we put our minds to everything that is good and everything that is love and God is all good and God is all love, it changes us. And God knew from the beginning of time when he created that if we could focus our hearts and our mind and, 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 and moving, having our identity around the stuff or our accomplishments or the things that we have and focusing our identity on him, he will find contentment, that we will find contentment. I just think it's fascinating that all of that is focused on that praise has more to do with you because it changes you. But wait, there's more. So he goes on to say in verses 8 and 9, again, this is the whatever. Whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is, uh, is good, you know, to focus on this. So focusing on the positive and healthy that God offers reframes your mind in finding contentment. Let's go into a little bit of science for a minute. 
It was a scientific fact that your brain was not, when you were born, was not nearly as wrinkly as it is now. If we could see your brain now, it is way more wrinkly than it was you were born. And it's not a sign of age. I have some wrinkles that are kind of to grow here. Well, that's just because I'm getting old. But that's not the same case for your brain. You see, the way God designed the human brain is that whenever you have thoughts, positive or negative, the uh, electrical impulses go across your brain. And then when you begin finding patterns, it begins taking the same patterns. And according to science, you will have grooves that develop in your brains. That, that is why you can get into habit. That's why you can have the same type of responses because it triggers responses that have been habitual in your life. And just like how water flows in the path of least resistance, the same thing when it comes to these electrical impulses that we call your thoughts. Now I have good news and I've got better news. The good news is, sticking with science for a minute, they've come to determine a modern technology beginning to determine that you can actually change the grooves in your brain. In other words, if you had a negative past, perhaps an abusive childhood, or a parent who just never gave you approval or love, perhaps uh, negativity from your school, you're bullied, perhaps uh, uh, just negative things that happened in a marriage or in a job, and it's just gone on for a negative time, uh, a long length of time, I have the unfortunate thing to tell you that part of your knee-jerk reaction is because that is the groove of least resistance. The good news is, is science have said that if you begin focusing in the discipline of focusing on the positive, on the right, on the healthy, you actually can create new grooves in your brain. That's good news. It won't happen overnight. It's just an ongoing discipline. But the better news is this. God is all that is good. God is all that is love. God is all that is healthy, pure, noble, and therefore the one who created the brain, the one who created all that, knew all that scientific stuff long before we've ever even discovered it. And he didn't need you to even understand that. He didn't even need you to know the science of how it worked. He simply said, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is healthy, whatever is of God, that when you and I develop the discipline of focusing on the things of God, it changes you. And you will learn to live above the snake line. I'm happy for those that don't know God that they at least have some positive relief. But I'm sad for them because they don't know the true source of what is good, what is pure, what is noble. 
Now, I got to tell you this. Contentment is not about having no desire. It's about not letting anything you desire be unhealthy or letting it possess you. So it's not about saying, oh, okay, I'm going to be one of these people that I will just have no desire. Let's say you live in a home, you've had a bunch of children, you've outgrown the home. Is there anything wrong with you desiring to have a bigger home? No. But if the reason that you want the bigger home is because you feel like it'll give you power, it'll give you status, it will, it will fulfill a need, and, and, and it's just, I've never had quite enough. And, and if this home is good, but the next one will be even better and even more, well, then your desire is below the snake line. Or if you have somebody that, uh, somebody that you know has something that's better than yours, and it consumes you or bothers you, then your desire is below the snake line. So how did the Apostle Paul do that? Well, remember, I talked about in the scriptures that I have learned. See, the Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be hungry, and he knew what it was like to be one of the richest men, successful men, the most pedigrees, the most uh, uh, highly lifted up. He knows what it's like to have it all. And he knows what it's like to have none of it. And what he said is be patient. In these verses 11 and 12, I have learned the secret of contentment. Be patient. Becoming a contented person is a promise, a process rather, not an instant decision. He has learned the secret of contentment. Now how? How did he learn this? Well, he gave us all the clues. He said, I, I, I spent my time and I'm just rejoicing in God. And, and I just love and I'm just falling more and more in love with him. And everything that is good and noble and pure, all of that, I am, uh, I, I am focusing on the things of God. See, contentment is born out of perspective. And perspective is born out of desire. And your desires are born out of your faith. And your faith is born out of your ongoing journey with God. Contentment that comes from God leads to peace that surpasses all understanding. That is why a daily walk with God it's so critical. That is why asking what would Jesus do is so critical. That is why that your, your relationship with God should not just be this concept, I'm going to get my tank filled on Sunday, and then I, I just go and, until the gas is empty, and then I come back and get refilled. No, it's because that I'm supposed to be praying without ceasing, as talked about in other passages, just saying, Lord, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. What are you showing me? What are you doing here? What do you want me to see? Open my eyes. That is why meditating on scriptures is so critical. 
That is why hanging out with people who are on a similar journey, a.k.a. coming to church, is so critical. You see, the secret of contentment is this. Pacing your faith in your creator. Taking on the desires of your creator. Seeing life situations from the perspective that your creator sees them. Tend to be very focused. I want, I need, I need. God, you don't understand. And to step back and to say, God, what do you see? What do you want me to see? You see, no matter what life throws you, even when you're weakened by your own desires, accept no cheap substitutes and turn to your Creator for your strength and your wisdom. So the bottom line is this. If you are not content, you are saying more about what you believe about God than what you believe about life situation. I need that to sink in for you. If you are not content, you are saying more about what you believe about God. You say, oh, but I come and I praise him and I lift my hands and, 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 and I talk to Christian talk. That's great. I love that. But if your identity is wrapped up about what other people think about you or the things that you have and you don't have, if you find yourself uh, just quickly given to anger or quickly given to lust or quickly given to uh, jealousy or quickly given to, to desire for things that are just aren't healthy, we're communicating so much about what we believe about God. And my prayer is, and living among the snake line in every area of my life, I'm not there yet. That I want to say in every area, God, you are enough. Whether, according to the Apostle Paul, whether I'm hungry or whether I have abundance of blessings, my identity is not in any of that. So let me leave you with this challenge. Contentment is a journey. Praise him daily. Focus on the whatevers. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. And choose to learn the secret of contentment. If we can do that one challenge, our lives would be radically transformed. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can come to you openly and honestly. We bring you our brokenness. We bring you our broken toys. We bring you our uh, areas that we recognize that uh, we are triggered to poisonous reactions. And we don't, we don't need to be identified by any of that. So, Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would uh, help us to discover the secret of contentment the Apostle Paul talks about. 
and know that our identity is you and everything is good as you. Whether we're on the top of the world like the Apostle Paul knows well or suffering in prison like the Apostle Paul knows well. You see, it is good. It is well with our soul. Through Christ we pray. Amen.